welcome adventurers. Orteval is but one person, and seven knolls stand between him and those he has come to rescue. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Maybe he could climb one of the steeper faces of the hill. Orteval retreated away from the knoll standing watch at the base of the incline. He circled wide to the east, where there was more cover of rocks. When he had reached a position almost due south of the hill, he began to close back in, slowly. At a hundred paces, he could see no evidence of knolls on this side. At fifty paces, it was the same. When he reached fifteen paces, he was quite sure there was no enemy on this side of the hill. Everyone is at the front door, Orteval thought. But was there any back door? He crept closer still. Now, seven paces remaining, Orteval clung to the back of the last rock between himself and the base of the hill. He studied the steep face before him. Mostly rock, but there were tufts of earth and dry grass as well. The incline was steep. He would be climbing after the first fifteen feet or so. Climbing with no rope. The climb would be another thirty-five to forty feet to the top. It was the top that concerned him. Just before the face reached the grassy top, it appeared to bend out toward him. An inverted face. But just how inverted? He stared a while longer. Should he scout the east and west side? He wasn't sure if he had the time, and moving there carried a much bigger risk of being seen or heard by the knolls. It wasn't that bad, he convinced himself. He could make it. No longer willing to wait, Orteval looked around one last time before crawling on his belly to the foot of the hill. He paused to listen. Nothing. He stood, scrambling quickly up the first fifteen feet. Now he found holds for his hands and feet. Up he went, slowly, searching for grips, pushing, pulling. Halfway up his foot broke off a loose rock. It nearly ended there, but he recovered at the last second. Gasping for air, adrenaline surging through his veins, he began again. After four bars, he was just shy of the top. He strained his head to look up. The incline was more than he thought. It overhung his head by nearly three feet. But the edge looked sharp. He did his best to look around for all of his options. Left and right were shaky. He might have to climb back down and find a new route. Behind and south, he heard the sound of howls. Muted howls replied from the north of the hill. Reinforcements were coming. No time for down. No time for anything. The edge looked sharp. Orteval closed his eyes. Resilia, forgive me for this lapse in wisdom. He squatted down onto his footholds, stretching his arms out to their maximum length. And then, in one surging motion, he pushed up with his legs, pulled with his arms, throwing himself up and out. He left the face completely, 
arms reaching to grasp the ledge above. His hands caught, but there was dirt and grass. His right hand slid free immediately. His left hand strained, having found a small hold. Strained. It was not enough to pull on, and a kick would shake him free. His hand burned, grip failing. And then a hand grabbed his forearm, and then another. He was pulled up with great effort. Cresting the ledge, the hand grabbed his shoulder, then under the arm, and he was pulled clear, face down. The sweet smell of dry grass and dust filled his mouth and lungs. He could hear the loud breaths of his savior nearby as well. It was more than a bar before he could force his shaking muscles to move. He pushed himself up onto one elbow. Before him, back pressed against a rock, sat a soldier. Her hair was dark black and cropped short. A streak of white started above her left eye and ran back over her head. Her face was tan with crow's feet at the corners of her mouth and the dark eyes which stared intently upon Ortaval. It seems a lot of effort to find your way through enemy lines, climb up this hill the hard way, just to throw yourself off of it. Her expression remained flat for a moment. There are many rocks closer to the Barata province, much easier to climb and leap from if killing yourself is the end goal, Private. They stared at one another expressionless for ten beats and then both burst into laughter. After brief introductions, Captain Fury, the one who had pulled him up, had led him inside the rocks. There were not thirty soldiers. There were five. Three badly hurt, one of which was near death. Ortoval went immediately to work. Wounds were cleaned and potions distributed. In five bars, all were able to stand. Thank Roselia for the knowledge that led the healing potions. Need seen to for the moment, Ortoval told the captain of the howls, but she was keenly aware and already mustering her soldiers. How many remain on the slope to the north, Private? She asked, addressing Ortoval. Seven, he had replied. Well, Garion smiles. Fiori had responded. With that few, we will win our way free of here, but we have to move. Those reinforcements will be on us in no time. Aware of their presence, but not expecting a frontal assault, the seven knolls at the base of the hill were overwhelmed quickly. Between the magic of Captain Fiori and the renewed spirits of soldiers who thought they had been left for dead, the knolls were dispatched with great vigor. But the thrill of the small victory was short-lived. Looking back south, Less than a half mile away could be seen the movement of a new unit of gnolls, and given the dust it was putting off, it looked large. Captain Fury projected an unnatural calm, even as she urged them into a rapid retreat. The gnolls came on, dogging their every step. Exhausted and terrified, they ran and ran. Less than a quarter mile from the post Ortoval had abandoned this very morning, the enemy caught them. Again, Captain Fury was able to steer them to a high ground. But this one was much less defensible. They were soon surrounded, and this time the gnolls had come prepared. Besides numbers, they had brought a spellcaster. Beating back two assaults had cost them two of the soldiers Ortoval had saved earlier in the day, and all that remained bore wounds. 
On the third null charge, Ortoval was overwhelmed. He would not die cowering and hidden. He ran out to meet the charge, mace swinging wildly, breaking bone and bursting insides. But he took wounds as well. And then, turning toward the warning call of the captain, a deafening eruption. The ground to his left burst. Rock, earth, and Ortoval himself flew through the air. And then darkness. Ortoval woke to a muted light. Soul's light filtered through the canvas. In his ears, the sound of ringing. Where was he? He tried to sit up, but his head pounded and his vision blurred. A hand was placed on his chest. When his vision cleared, he finally realized where he was. He wasn't sure how, but it was a medical evac tent. At the foot of his cot sat Captain Fiore. Seeing his eyes focus on her, she smiled and then spoke. Her voice sounded fuzzy and far away. Hello, Private. You seem hell's bent on ending yourself. Ortoval gave a weak smile. How? was all he managed. Well, I think you scared most of them off, but I had a few last big bangs saved up as well. The Knolls, being terrible tacticians and all, overextended their attack this morning. The counterattack of the province forces pushed pretty far back. Luckily as far back as the sound of a random skirmish. She paused. That was us, soldier, in case your scrambled brains didn't get that. Ortoval smiled again, but it faded. He laid back, staring up at the canvas roof. He was going to be in a lot of trouble. Almost as if she had read his mind, Fiori began again. I talked to your CO, Private. He was pretty pissed. Said he wanted you drummed out of the service for insubordination. There it was, Ortoval thought. But then Fiori continued. I told him I thought that was the wrong message to send for acts of extreme bravery. So we made a compromise of sorts. You are no longer in his service. But when you have fully recovered, you will be the newest member of the Shison. We are in dire need of a healer that is tough. Even if his sanity may be a tad questionable. Ortoval could not believe what he was hearing. Fiori stood. So rest up. We redeploy in a week's time. Oh, and private isn't right either. When you report to me next, you report as corporal. Understood? Not knowing what else to do, Ortoval gave a dumbfounded salute. Fiori nodded and returned the salute. Good. And then she turned and strode confidently from the tent. Ortoval finished speaking. He was aware of Snare staring at him, as he had been for the entire telling. It was rare that anything held the little thief's attention for more than a few beats. Ortoval kept waiting for a question or comment to come, but none did. The kick-a-pook, kick-a-pook of the horse's hooves on the hard-packed road. A warm and gentle breeze rustled through the grape leaves in the vineyards. Ortoval finally turned to face Snare. The gnome looked into his eyes for a while and then nodded in acceptance or agreement. To exactly what, Ortoval was not sure. 
but the gnome finally looked away. As Ortoval had told his tale, the road had gently risen in elevation. The hills on either side became more pronounced. Where the vineyards had run in roughly straight rows before, now they wound and curved along the contours of the hills. Occasionally, wide tree-lined roads led off the main road, up and away to grand estates. Majestic buildings that sat atop hills, looking upon the surrounding lands as a lazy lord upon his well-set table. The estates surrounding the city of Solvara belonged to the extremely wealthy. Many were not primary residences, but summer homes or family meeting places. Many had belonged to the same families for generations upon generations. To build a new estate in the area, if one could even convince another family to sell off some of their vast tracts of land, required the permission of all the existing estate owners in the region. There were eleven greater estates and fourteen lesser estates that fell into this category. The families that owned them were known as the Vet Doma. The Vet Doma as a group provided no official function, held no authority outside their lands. Unofficially, they were respected universally throughout the province and garnered the favor and deference of the most wealthy and powerful, all of whom wished one day to be counted among their number. Of the eleven greater estates, only the Bonfala family could claim a longer heritage than the Dea del Fiore's, at whose driveway they had just arrived. Unlike previous drives, just off the main road stood a stately and imposing stone wall with a skillfully worked wrought iron gate. A small turret stood on one side of the gate. A stone arch within shaded a guard who was standing to approach. The guard was nearly as imposing as the gate. She stood well over six feet tall. Her limbs were thick and powerful. Despite this, she moved with a cat-like grace. Not that there was any reason, but Ortoval would avoid a fight with this one at any cost. The guard looked to Ortoval with consideration, and then to Snare, where her eyes lingered in distrust, even as she spoke. May I help you? Ortoval dismounted and removed the letter from his saddlebag. He turned. We are here at the request of the Comitessa, he said, presenting the writ. The guard read it twice, then folded it back up and returned it to him. A moment, good sir, while I open the gate. She cast one more dubious look in Snare's direction before returning to the turret. Inside she cranked a wheel, and the gate slid aside. Ortoval mounted up, and they passed through. The drive was at least a mile long, and after a small dip it rose up and around to the summit of a hill. Atop the hill was a massive manor. Between thick structural beams of near-black oak, the walls were beautifully plastered, tinted in a warm yellow. Low-pitched roofs on the second and third stories glimmered in gray, greens, and dark blue slates, like the skin of some massive scaled serpent. Large windows stood in balanced rows, dark shutters opened to the pleasant weather. Windows on the second floor had wrought iron terraces. The drive led them through and under a large arch in the face of the building to reveal a large gravel courtyard. An attendant greeted them. Ortoval presented the letter again, and their mounts were taken to be stabled. 
They were instructed to wait at the base of a set of wide stone steps. Ortoval looked to Snare, whose eyes seemed to move ceaselessly. He wasn't sure if it was out of discomfort or the gnome's lack of ability to fathom the sum total of wealth available to steal. An enormous double door at the top of the ten steps swung wide. Stepping confidently out of the door was a woman in a well-made but simple black dress. A wide sash of green was tied about her waist. The hair, much longer now, was mostly white, with a few streaks of black. Dark eyes stared down from a deeply tanned face, expression unreadable. Under the gaze, Snare put both his hands in his pockets, looking down to his feet. Ortoval, however, held the gaze. When twenty beats had passed, a smile touched her eyes. Sergeant. Ortoval's face broke into a wide smile, standing straight-backed and giving a slow salute. Colonel. A small smile touched her lips now, but her eyes shifted to a tinge of sadness. Don't call me that. You know well I was given that rank in regards to my family name when the war was all but over. Ortoval dropped the salute and the smile. As you wish, Captain. The woman rolled her eyes. Merriman will do just fine, Ortoval. Now come, come in. She gestured with a wave. Ortoval ascended the wide and shallow steps to stand on the landing with Merriman. To his surprise, she reached out and squeezed his hand, saying quietly, It is good to see you. Ortoval smiled back. I must say I'm intrigued to know what you called in your favor for. Merriman let his hand drop. I dare say you will be disappointed when I tell you. To Ortoval's dismay, a small blush came to her cheeks. Embarrassment? She looked down toward Snare, who had yet to ascend the stairs, before looking back up to him. I need you to babysit my nephew. A pause. Take him out and see the world. The boy spends so much time in libraries, you would think he worked there. Ortoval looked back. It seemed a small price to pay for having saved his life. Merriman must have read what he was thinking on his face because she spoke. Look at where we are, Ortoval. It is unlikely I will need or even want for anything before I take my last journey to Garion's Hall. She made a broad gesture toward the courtyard and the estate. But my nephew was twenty-two and has hardly seen anything outside the pages of a book. Ortoval continued to look back intently. Take him out into the world. Let him get some dirt under his nails, some scrapes and bruises. Go out and find an adventure. A moment of silence passed, and then Ortoval nodded. Merriman smiled in earnest for the first time, nodding back. Good. Well, let's go in and meet him. She turned and headed back toward the door. As she crossed the threshold, she yelled in a voice that Ortoval had not heard since the Null Wars. Alarian, get your head out of whatever book it is in and come out and meet our guests. And now we know how Ortoval and Snare came to join Alarian on his quest. But there is still more to be told on how that journey began. Stay tuned next week for the beginning of a new tale. 
Have you ever had a favor that you owed someone that came back and bit you? Well, this one did for Orteval. So, if you've been listening since the beginning, you know what that means. If you haven't, well, there's an opportunity there. Uh, speaking of favors, I just wanted to say a huge, huge favor you could do for me that I promise you won't regret is just tell somebody that you know that might like the show. Tell somebody about the show. Or that extra amazing amount of effort. I know you're so busy and you got so many things to do in your day. Go into social media, go on to iTunes and leave me a review. Let somebody else know. Tell somebody about it and and, and give me a thumbs up or a five-star review or whatever you can do. That favor really changes the course of what I'm doing here and makes all the time and energy that I'm putting into it uh, all the more worthwhile. So, And with that, I just want to say, thumbs up or not, I am so immensely appreciative of every listen uh, to the show and without you it's not much of a much of a podcast it's just me uh, telling stories to myself so I appreciate you and everything you've done thank you for lending me your ears and here's to many many more stories